24 minutes in front of the hour here on the Big Talker FM as uh, we conclude our Freedom Friday broadcast uh, each and every Friday at this time. My friend Yael Lasowski, host of Consumer Choice Radio, joins us uh, at the Consumer Choice Center. His program alongside colleague Dave Clement uh, airs uh, Saturday mornings at uh, 10 o'clock right here on the Big Talker FM as part of our local programming lineup uh, on the weekend. Yael joins us from Vienna, Austria this morning. Yael, I hope you're doing well. We've been in contact for the last uh, four or five hours this morning. Yes, sir, Joe. I'm doing great, and uh, it's great to be back here on Freedom Friday. And your boy Chase Elliott brought home the checkered flag last night in Charlotte. Sure did. This uh, That's two wins in one week in different series for NASCAR, all right here in North Carolina and Charlotte. I mean, these are these are great times. Yael comes from a background, a family background uh, that has uh, history in NASCAR. And uh, in fact, after Chase brought home the checkered flag uh, last week, he's out there in Vienna, Austria. How many people in Vienna come up to you and give you a high five for wearing a Chase Elliott shirt that looked like it was from 1995? Uh, yeah, not too many. There's a, there's a few <laughs> fans I know out there, but uh, unfortunately not too many. Uh, but one good news as well is uh, my brother actually just got promoted. He's now rear tire changer for number 24, William Byron, Hendrick Motorsports. So uh, Ososki name is not just here on the big talker in Wilmington, but also in Charlotte right at the racetrack. Yeah, that's uh, very cool. And they're actually headed to Bristol this weekend uh, for another NASCAR series race. Yael Lasowski with the Consumer Choice Center. So, Yael, when are we going to be able to attend a NASCAR race or when are you going to be able to come to the great state of North Carolina to see and reconnect with your family as you've been disconnected for the last several months? Well, we've been trying. You know, I've been looking. I've been doing a lot of researching. I've been emailing. I've been calling embassies and health departments. Uh, right now, it seems pretty tough. I know that, uh, at least for the races, it might be maybe July until they let fans in. But in terms of letting Yael Osofsky in, um, it might be June or July. You know, we're going to see. We are allowed to go there right now, as I am a citizen. Uh, but the problem is, is that they're going to impose a two-week quarantine on me. And um, I could do a test maybe at the airport in Vienna and have that certificate available, but there's no process yet in the U.S. And I'm not allowed to fly directly there. There's only 13 airports that I can fly to. So it's either Atlanta or D.C. So who knows? I might go to D.C. and then uh, drive all the way down the Outer Banks and come see you, Joe. Well, I will be here and uh, we would enjoy having you. In fact, uh, yesterday I attended and uh, gave some business to the watering hole outside of my office that I sometimes frequent after, you know, days that make your hair turn gray. And it was the first time I went into this establishment since the shutdown on March 17th. It was the day the music died, March 17th, uh, St. Patrick's Day at four o'clock. I know it uh, very well. I had a beer and a shot before I came back to the office to finish up some work at this one establishment, and uh, I did the same thing yesterday for the first time in several months. I got to say, it, it felt liberating. It's like a victory lap. Finally, you get to go out. Joe Catanacci is back out in the bars and restaurants, ladies and gentlemen. Watch out, but uh, worry not. He'll be a big spender. Well, uh, no, while trying to you know keep that uh, you know to a to a minimum these days, holding real tight onto the money that I have. Uh, but with that said, you know, I I've been drawing comparisons uh, to this establishment that I went to uh, last night, and then there is another you know hole in the wall that I find myself at sometimes near my house 
that establishment remains closed because of the zoning and because of the permit they have as compared to the other bar slash restaurant I went to yesterday. Talk about some confusing times and some really frustrating times for these businesses. And it seems like there's some bipartisan support in Raleigh. Who would have thunk it? Uh, State House and Senate moving forward with HB 536 yesterday. That's the North Carolina alcohol bill that would allow for some reforms, not only to the industry, but also allow some of these bars that have been closed to open outdoors at a limited capacity. Yeah, and this is uh, definitely a great move by a lot of the state legislators, which you don't get to say very often, but this is a very good move. And it's a way that we're not only getting people back to work, but allowing people to go outside to congregate in groups safely, maintaining social distancing, following all the guidelines, but finally giving a much needed shot of energy to a lot of the bars and restaurants across North Carolina. The emergency order by the governor has been in place over two months now, and you know overall number of cases, and it really depends. And if you look at the numbers, Joe, I broke this down this morning. Um, if you look at, uh, well, certainly out there uh, in Wilmington, the cases are very low, and the problem areas are in Mecklenburg County with Charlotte, Wake County with Raleigh, and a few others. And it's not really making sense to have a one-size-fits-all policy anymore. That's why this bill is a great idea. We believe we support this bill. We came out very much in favor of that. We're imploring the governor to sign it. Uh, who knows if that's going to happen? I know he's got a lot of pressure, people talking to him left and right. Uh, he's got a lot of things on his plate, no doubt. But I think this would be a very good move. And once again, all it would mean is that these bars and restaurants would be able to be open to serve their customers, would be able to provide alcohol. It doesn't mean that the business owners need to. If they are in a high-risk area and they don't want to, they're very free to remain closed. And that's all that we're asking for is a little bit of choice, a little bit of discretion, allow the property owners, the business owners to provide those services if they want. And consumers can also go if they want. This is not going to guarantee business. It's not going to guarantee commerce, but it's at least one way that the state can put a big green stamp on it and say, yes, we allow this. Yes, they can follow the guidelines and be safe. I think that's a good measure of freedom for North Carolinians. Well, the governor uh, did not seem very receptive uh, to uh, that news yesterday when asked about, uh, you know, the bill and the support in, in both the House and Senate said, hey, we're six days into this phase two. And, uh, you know, I know people are struggling, but now's not the time for bars to open. So we'll see what the political pressure mounts to over the next several days as to whether the governor signs the bill, allows it to become law. Over a 10 day period as part of the process or then decides to veto the piece of legislation. And then we'll see if those lawmakers, those Democrat lawmakers in particular, if they still have uh, the, the wherewithal to cast their vote to override that veto. And at that point, you know, if the 10 days expire, then the governor got three out of the five weeks into phase three. So I'm just not sure how that's all going to shake out, uh, given the governor's statement yesterday surrounding these bars and other businesses that remain closed under the legislation approved yesterday would be allowed to reopen with outdoor seating capacity, similar to what we saw with the restaurants uh, uh, a week ago today. Yael Osowski with the Consumer Choice Center with us uh, here this morning. I know, Yael, you're all about uh, you know freedom, uh, particularly uh, when it comes to the way in which you're able to discuss uh, different things through freedom of speech on the different platforms out there that we consume on the daily basis. Uh, you know, the Facebooks, the Twitters, the Instagrams, and others. 
the president uh, has uh, since uh, signed an executive order yesterday on Section 230 in relation to Twitter and uh, the other social media platforms on potential you know, ramifications for censoring information. Well, you do when you sign up, agree to you know, certain terms that gives these private companies the ability to, to shut you down when they want. Not that I necessarily agree with that type of censorship, but what the president did yesterday, do you think that was more or less just kind of a warning shot, you know, a, a symbol to kind of his supporters that, yeah, we've been, you know, cut off and are being shut down and censored on these platforms. And here's an executive order to, you know, show them that we are interested in looking at how they conduct their terms, or is this you know, an all-out assault on the, the freedom of these businesses to operate uh, you know, the way they do? It's definitely a virtue signal, as uh, you know, many groups and people do online. That's, that's kind of the currency of the Internet. But with this executive order, I mean, this is an executive order. This is like the uh, rule that the president is putting out there that is directing various agencies. And there is a diktat in this to the Federal Communications Commission. Uh, we had on our program a couple of weeks ago, Commissioner Brendan Carr of the FCC, who's very much against this. He's very much in favor of free speech. I don't see them upholding that. Uh, what this really is is pointing to is this Section 230 of the Communication Decency Act in 1996. What this basically posited is that if you are some kind of uh, publisher online or you provide some kind of forum, you cannot be held liable for comments made on that forum. This is actually one of the most important pieces of law that has led to the creation of the free Internet as we know it. And, uh, you know, this is not to say that there is a left or right on this issue. Joe Biden would very much like to tear this piece up of the rule so that he can have total control of Facebook, Twitter, and these other platforms. I think for, for Trump, he's obviously upset and mad that he got his own uh, Twitter. You know, he's gotten his flags now, and he'll have a lot more warnings. Worry not. I don't know if he needs to come out with an executive order on this. If this were to come into being and would be passed, uh, I don't think it will be because there will be challenges and lawsuits. Um, that would mean that there is now liability if on the Big Talker 106.7 FM website, somebody makes a comment about whatever and it is a slander, somebody can actually sue the website because of that comment being there. And it's that kind of liability that we don't want to have expanded into every single website. We already live in a lawsuit frenzy society. We don't really need to have even more steps so that every website you visit, every social network is a potential lawsuit waiting to happen. That is pretty bad apples. I would hope that this is either struck down or Trump changes his tune. Uh, we all understand that people are getting censored or blocked, and there is a huge deplatforming on social media, no doubt. However, people do have a free choice. They can leave those platforms. They can host their own. There are alternatives that people are using. But let's remain free on the Internet. Let's keep it free. Let's not throw this down and have more lawsuits, more liability. It would be very bad if we had this particular part of the act taken away. Of course, President Trump uh, has utilized uh, Twitter and social media like uh, no other commander-in-chief to try and get his message out uh, to steer around uh, the media outlets uh, to speak directly to the American people. He'll talk about the differences uh, that, say, you know, a radio station and program like mine and uh, the terms that we have to live by through the FCC and other you know, traditional media outlets as compared to this new digital media. I mean, there's really nothing that regulates digital media as compared to the way you know, radio, uh, TV and print media are, 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 are looked at.
Well, definitely here on the radio, uh, that's, you know, under the body of the FCC. So um, I can't start cursing up a storms. I can't do George Carlin's seven dirty words. Uh, there's a lot of rules and regulations on that. Even as an amateur radio operator, there's a lot of things that myself, if I'm using my ham radio, that I'm not allowed to say or do. And there are a lot of restrictions on radio and television and a lot of things related to decency that don't apply to these online platforms. Uh, there are differences there. You can make an argument that maybe we don't need it. But then again, that's why you have competing media uh, to give people that opportunity. Obviously, radio is great and does provide a, an amazing opportunity to reach out to people and anyone can tune in. I think that's great and it should be protected. At the same time, the internet is this great revolutionary thing that makes radio better. It makes television better. It allows our democracy to flourish because people are exchanging ideas. And, you know, if, if we want to try to select this kind of uh, legislation, Section uh, 230, and rip this up, I, I think there would be a divide, and that would probably be more of an invitation to regulate radio, to regulate TV even more. I know it's uh, it's talk radio, so everybody has to mention the Fairness Doctrine, which was uh, law for many decades, but this is the kind of stuff that could be waiting in the wings. So we have to be careful with our policy responses. We have to be careful with what's proposed and what is passed, uh, because right now your team might be in power, but in a couple of years, the other team will be there and they're going to be even more ferocious. When we talk about you know, the frustration that we see from the president regarding his uh, you know, messages on social media getting censored, uh, it's just uh, maybe the way in which a lot of his supporters, including myself, see this is that there are people behind the scenes on Twitter, you know, for instance, uh, that uh, will go about censoring certain information. And then let's just uh, bring up a, a terrorist organization such as Antifa, for instance, and, uh, you know, the violence that, that they have uh, laid out in certain cities across our country and the way they're able to communicate through a platform like uh, Twitter. You know, I think that's where people see maybe the hypocrisy of all of this. Why does a terrorist organization like Antifa get to you know, make calls for violence on Twitter, but the president you know, is, is getting censored for saying this or that? I think that's very true, and uh, that's very clear and present. There's a million examples. I think it's up to the press, to journalists, to people like you and me to call that out. Uh, there are tools to be able to do it. But then again, Twitter is not the end-all, be-all. And Facebook is apparently taking a different approach. Um, I think you and I know both that we've been censored on various things over the years, so uh, we don't know how far they're going to fall through with that. But it is true that we have to hold these systems accountable. Just because it is a private company, just because it is a social network, doesn't mean that they can do whatever they want without penalty. Um, it's just a question of do we use the government to do it or do we use the market? Do we use our speech? Do we use our other media channels? to criticize them. And I think that's the defining line, because the moment that you invite government, that you invite force, that you invite the state to come in and, and try to delegate this, uh, usually people are going to end up getting hurt, and the laws are not going to be well constructed, not well written, and they're going to be applied poorly, probably to the people who thought that they were going to be the winners at the end of this. Um, so that's unfortunate, and I, I hope it doesn't come to that. Yael Lasowski with the Consumer Choice Center with us this morning. Yael, what's coming up on Consumer Choice Radio tomorrow morning here on The Big Talker at 10 a.m.? We've got an exclusive interview with Peter Schiff, uh, the all-around financial guru who predicted the financial crash of 2008. He gives us lessons on everything that's happening with the pandemic and the Fed and money printing and uh, way bigger stuff than I ever thought was possible. Um, so <laughs> we have a great conversation with him, and uh, hopefully a lot of your listeners will be interested by that. That'll be tomorrow morning at Consumer Choice Radio, the latest edition uh, with Yael Lasowski and Dave Clement uh, beginning at 10 o'clock Saturday morning right here on the Big Talker FM. 
Yael, it's always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, salute, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right. Adios. Bye-bye, Joe. That's uh, Yael Lasowski from the Consumer Choice Center. Nine minutes in front of the hour here on the Big Talker FM, consumerchoicecenter.org, the global grassroots movement for consumer choice. Uh, timely articles uh, here in the States and around the world. 